0: Heavenly Father, as we come before you again, we recognize that despite our unfaithfulness, you continue to be faithful to us. And so, Lord, you've worked upon our hearts to gather us to worship in your name this morning, and you've worked upon our hearts even now so that we'll sit and listen to what your word has to say. Oh, Lord, if it was up to us and our own sinful inclinations, we would not be here. We'd run far from this place, and we would not want to hear the voice of the living God. So, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness thus far this morning in bringing us here. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us by your faithfulness towards us this morning, that you would help us to understand what your word has to say. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we come yet again to the book of Hosea as we've been working our way through it. And we're up to Hosea chapter 9. and. Hosea the prophet, as I've said before, is one who spoke during the time that the kingdom of Israel was split. So it was split into the kingdoms of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. In the north, we have the kingdom of Israel. In the south, you've got the kingdom of Judah. And this has all come as a result of the Israelites coming to the promised land, and then the kingdom ended up divided. So if you have a broad overview of the Old Testament, of course, you start with Adam and Eve, uh, the first parents that are created. From them, you have Eventually get Abraham. From Abraham you get the twelve tribes of Israel uh, through his grandsons. And then those tribes of Israel spend some time in Egypt. They're brought out during the time uh, of Moses through. Uh, The desert into the promised land. And it's interesting uh, the book of Hosea is very much uh, knowledgeable about these matters and that is shown in chapter 9 and verse 10 the verse that we're going to be primarily concentrating on today but we will be looking at the surrounding verses where God speaks about that exodus that happened where the 12 tribes came out of Egypt and entered into the promised land and they spent some time in the desert. And so in verse 10 of Hosea chapter 9, we we see how God felt about the Israelites during their time in the desert. Verse 10 of Hosea chapter 9, I encourage you to have it open before you, page 895. Page 895, verse 10, it says, When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your fathers, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. When these Israelites were in the desert, the fathers of the people who Hosea was uh, prophesying to, so this is hundreds of years down the track, uh, Hosea is speaking to people who are descendants of those who were originally in the desert, but they still call them their fathers in verse 10. When God saw those fathers of the present day Israelites in Hosea's time, it was like finding grapes in the desert is the illustration that's used there. It was like finding grapes in the desert, and this is something that would be indeed delightful to experience, to find grapes in the desert. I mean, grapes are generally uh, a yummy type of fruit for most people. Most people wouldn't knock back some grapes, but you don't expect to find grapes in the desert. In the desert, all you expect to find is sand and sand and more sand. You don't expect to find many plants at all, and if you do find some plants, it'd be cactus, which... Uh, and cacti which you wouldn't really be wanting to eat uh, and other things that wouldn't be edible. So if you were to find grapes in the desert... It'd be wonderful, it'd be quite a delight. And apparently this does happen uh in the land of Israel that in some of the uh des- deserts there, that grapes do show up from time to time. And if you find them they are indeed quite sweet and delectable, if you can find them, but they're quite a delight because of the surroundings in which they are they are. Let's face it, grapes are nice and juicy. And in the desert, you're probably going to be fairly thirsty. And so if you find some grapes, it's quite a delight to you. And if you're in the desert, it's probably been some time since you've experienced grapes. And so you may be even having a bit of a craving for fruit, particularly a fruit like grapes. And so when you find them, it's even more delightful as if you were having grapes at any other time. And one other reason why finding grapes in the desert would be so delightful is because uh, who doesn't like eating something that's a surprise? I often experience this as well. If you're not expecting to find something and then you find it, it's even more sweet uh, to you. I've experienced this in the, in the Uh, kitchen pantry where I'll be rooting around in the back of it looking for something to eat and I'll find some chocolate bar and I'll say to Jill, what's this doing back here? And she says, oh, it was on sale and I bought it as a treat for you at some point. And so it's wonderful when I find it and I say, well, this must be the point at which I am supposed to eat it. And, uh, And it's all the better because I didn't know it was there. And that is how it would be to find grapes in the desert. It would be such a delight to do so. And that is how God saw the Israelites. These um, these Israelites, as they were in the desert, he saw them there following him. They'd followed God's leader, Moses, out of Egypt and come into the desert to worship him. Again and again, Moses had said to to the king of Egypt, to Pharaoh, let us go so we may worship God. And so the Israelites came out into the desert to worship God. And so it was a great delight to God to see them there. And another way that it's actually described, uh, finding the Israelites in the desert, was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. Like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. It's there in verse 10 as well. So we've got two illustrations, two farming illustrations, uh, as to what it's like to see the Israelites in the desert to God. One is that it was like finding grapes. The other is it's like seeing early fruit on the fig tree. And uh, and the way you could actually translate this is it's the first fruit on the fig tree. And so what God is saying here, when I saw these Israelites in the desert, it was like seeing fruit on a, a fig tree, a, the early figs, the first figs on a fig tree for the first time. And if we understand, when you plant a fruit tree of any sort, it is quite some time before you see fruit on it. It can be years and years. And for some trees, they never end up producing any fruit, and you're waiting, waiting, waiting for the fruit to come, and it never actually comes. And so a year may go past, and a year and a year, and you're thinking, is this tree actually ever going to give me something? And so when God saw the Israelites in the desert, it was like seeing the first fruit on that tree and going yes, this tree is actually going to produce something and I'm going to be able to enjoy its fruit. I remember this when I planted a mandarin tree in my backyard when I was a kid. I love mandarins and so I said, can we plant a mandarin tree? And it took a few years, but then I found after a couple of years of waiting, this tiny little mandarin had formed and it was such a joy to me. I ran back to mum and said, there's a mandarin, there's a mandarin. And I just couldn't wait. For it to get any bigger, and so I ate it when it was uh, way too small to be eaten, really, and it was quite sour. But it was still a delight to me because a mandarin had finally shown up on the tree, and that is how God felt when he saw the Israelites following him in the desert. But the sad thing is, God's delight in the Israelites didn't continue. And if you look at the rest of verse 10, you see that is the case. It says, When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your fathers, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. But when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. The Israelites came into the desert to worship God and everything looked great. But when they came to a particular place, they actually started to worship another god. They started to worship the the Baal of Peor. And that is told to us in Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25. I encourage you to turn with me there now so we can look at this sin of the Israelites and how grievous it was to God. Numbers chapter 25, which is found on page 157. Page 157, 157. Turn with me there. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. So the Israelites have come out of Egypt. They've been in the desert for some time. And a false prophet, Balaam, has been ordered to curse them and God has refused to curse the Israelites. And what do the Israelites do in chapter 25? Chapter 25 of Numbers, page 157, verse 1, we read, While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshipping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must be put to death. Put to death those of your men who have joined in worshipping the Baal of Peor. And then it continues on. But here in those few verses you can see how grievous the sin of the Israelites were that Hosea is referring to in Hosea chapter 9 verse 10 where he talks about the way that when they came to Baal Peor Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol. Instead of worshipping the God who brought them out with mighty works from Egypt, they started to worship a false god. They started to worship an idol. And so God punished the Israelites as a result. We see a hint of that punishment there, but we also see again and again that the Lord punished them as they worshipped other gods. And the people of Hosea's time were no different in many respects. And that is what Hosea has been trying to tell them again and again, that in one respect they are God's people, so they are like grapes in a desert, They are like the first fruit on a fig tree. But God's delight in his people of Hosea's time quickly turns to disgust as they sin against him. They sin against him again and again. And we see that back in chapter 9 of Hosea, page 895. Page 895, Hosea chapter 9, verse 7. Hosea 9, verse 7, it says, The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this, because your sins are so many and your hostility so great. The prophet is considered a fool, the inspired man a maniac. The prophet, along with my God, is the watchman over Ephraim, yet snares await him on all his paths and hostility in the house of his God. They have sunk deep into corruption, as in the days of Gibeah. God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Hosea brings judgment upon these people, saying, you are sinners. Yet, at one time, you may have looked like grapes in the desert, you may have looked like figs appearing for the first time in the fig tree, but your sin has come. And so therefore, God will punish you. And that is what we read in verses 11 and following of chapter 9. Verse 11 of Page 895, it says, Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they rear children, I'll bereave them of every one. Woe to them when I turn away from them. I've seen Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim will bring out their children to the slayer. God says that he will punish them by the fact that they will be childless. Even if they have children, uh, he, will, uh, he uh, will turn away from them. And bring woe upon them. And he continues with that theme in verses 14 and following. Give them, O Lord, what will you give them? Give them wombs that miscarry and breasts that are dry. Because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. Ephraim is blighted. Their root is withered. They yield no children. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They'll be wanderers among the nations. You can see how he's got a fruit analogy going on again, but a fruit analogy with judgment, where the families will be deprived of having children. Even if they have children, they'll often be slain by warring nations that will come in. And so it's quite ironic, really, because when you worship Baal, it was meant to be with a view to fruitfulness. That Baal would bless you and give you great crops and give you prosperous families. But instead, they're cursed by God and fruitless. And this stands as a warning for us today. God's dealings with the Israelites back in the desert and then in the time of Hosea stand as a warning for us because church history is full of people who start off well, who are great in the desert. Or figs, the first figs on the fig tree, they start off really well, but then they fall into sin and God punishes them justly. For example, if we consider in church history, and we don't just consider the Old Testament with the Israelites again and again, being wonderful to God, being a delight to him, but then God turning away from them in disgust, we consider even in the New Testament how quickly people who are supposed to be following God, supposed to be a delight to him, like grapes in a desert, or figs on a fig tree, bring him disgust. We see the apostles at Pentecost, they're there, lots of people becoming Christians, and the church being faithful to God and you'd think, oh this is like grapes in the desert when you think of the Roman Empire and all the Greek gods that people worshipped, and yet there are these people, even The Gentiles coming to be worshippers of God. But what do we see? Well, it doesn't take a few chapters in the book of Acts to see people like Ananias and Sapphira lying to the church and lying to God himself and being punished with immediate death. And as Paul is planting churches, he's going around the Roman Empire and having great success in areas doesn't take long before you see division coming through those churches. Just read the book of 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians and you see how a church in Corinth can look good, like grapes in a desert, the first figs and a fig tree, but soon God is disgusted with them. And Paul writes a very stern letter in 1 Corinthians to them about their immorality. And then if you go to the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, a book that I wouldn't preach on anytime soon, but the early chapters of Revelation are about some letters that God sends to the churches, to the churches that are in existence at the time of the book of Revelation. And although these letters do say some positive things about some of those churches in the book of Revelation, early chapters... Just consider what God has to say to the church in Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, God says, Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The church that's meant to be faithful to the Lord, and it starts off well. You can read about the church in Ephesus in, in Acts But here we have, from God himself, telling them to repent, to be careful that they've forgotten their first love. And so although they look like grapes in the desert at one point, they're no no longer a delight to the Lord. And then as you go through church history, you can look at the early church fathers, and they look really good at first, but it doesn't take long for them to fall into different errors. Baptismal regeneration, this idea that if you are baptised, that saves you, that act of baptism saves you, it crops up very early on and is then perpetuated through the early church fathers. I've been reading a fairly large tome on baptism in the early church and it surprised me at how quickly it came up and how many people hold to the idea of baptismal regeneration rather than holding to that we're saved by faith alone. And so although the early church starts to look really good like grapes in the desert, it soon leads to disgust in God's eyes. And you see this even with the Reformation. The Reformation came along and wonderful things happened. All these different denominations started up. The Lutheran Church, you've got the Reformed churches, you've got the Anglican Church, and then Baptist churches forming, Methodists forming from uh, from that further down the track. But if you follow those denominations, do they stay faithful to the Lord? So many of them do fall into error. And so we see that so many of these denominations, they start off like grapes in the desert, and God is delighted in them. You'd think, yes, yes. But soon they fall into error and turn away. So what is the solution to this problem? What is the way that we can solve just being grapes in the desert, just being a few grapes that causes delight and then causing God disgust, because we do not produce anything more. Now, one way that we could solve this problem would be to encourage people to avoid sin. If you just stop sinning, if you just continue to do God's law, you could continue to please God more than just being a few grapes in the desert or the early fruit on a fig tree. And yes, it's a good and healthy thing to do, to be told to stop sinning, But the problem is, if you consider the history of Israel and the history of the church, that that history of Israel screams out for a righteousness outside of the people of God. Telling people to stop sinning is great, but the problem is we don't stop sinning. Again and again, as we hear God's law, instead of doing what God says, we refuse to do God's law. And so Hosea reminds us that none of us are good enough, that we all have our bowels, we all have our idols that we love to worship. We, as self-professed followers of God, many of us in this room claim to be followers of God, that we are Christians, we follow Christ, we find we worship false gods all too readily. Sometimes God delights in us as he would delight as grapes in the desert or those early figs on a fig tree, but quickly we can see as God looks at our lives that it turns to disgust. And we all deserve to have God's judgment fall upon us. And if we're honest, that verse 10 of Hosea chapter 9 could be reflected in our lives every day. Hosea chapter 9, verse 10 says, When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your fathers, it was like seeing the early f- fruit on the fig tree. As we wake up in the morning and we call upon God, you may start the day off well. You may start and think, yes, yesterday was a bit of a failure. So I'm in a bit of a desert at the moment, but I'll be grapes in the desert. And I'll start off well. I'm going to pray, commit my day to the Lord, and I'm going to read his word, and I'm going to have a good quiet time. And so you do, and it's, it's delightful, isn't it? You think, God is smiling on me today. I've started the day well. But all it takes is another family member to walk into the room and say something to you that you don't like or don't appreciate or they look at you in some way. Or you get in the car and someone cuts you off and those delightful grapes that you were suddenly cause God to be disgusted with you. you. started the day off very well, but it didn't take long for you to sin against God, for you to actually worship yourself or something else all too quickly. And this is given to us so clearly in Romans chapter 7, this fight that we have within us. Turn with me there now. Romans chapter 7, which is found on page 1118. 1118, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 You can see here, the Apostle Paul is like grapes in the desert. He wants to do right, but he finds that he's disappointing God instead. Romans chapter 7, verse 14, where the Apostle Paul writes, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. He knows what he wants to do, and that's a good thing. He's a grape in the desert but he finds that he's not doing what he wants to do. And then in verse 16, And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. See how his, his life is a desert. In many respects, yes, there's this desire to do what is good and to be great to the Lord in the desert or to be first figs on that early fig tree, but he keeps on disappointing the Lord. There is still a sinful nature in him. And so he continues, verse 21, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in, my, in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. There's the solution given to you by the Apostle Paul as to how we can delight God more than just as grapes in the desert. How is the solution to his problem found? Verse 24 says, What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is the key that Hosea is ultimately pointing to in Hosea chapter 9. Hosea chapter 9 is again condemning the Israelites, telling them that they have failed to delight the Lord as they should and pointing forward to one who would come who would always delight the Lord, who would be more than just grapes in the desert, who would produce fruit that would last for all of eternity, who would always please the Lord, who would be one who produces grapes and grapes and grapes and grapes and grapes and never discussed the Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. And this is the marvellous truth of the Bible. The Old Testament is pointing forward again and again as it condemns the behaviour of those who profess to worship God and points them towards Jesus Christ as the only one who could produce fruit that would last. And so this means that if you come and join in with Jesus Christ, You can be more than first figs on a fig tree. You can produce fruit for the rest of eternity in Christ. Christ always produces delicious fruit and his delicious fruit can actually be applied to your life so when God looks at you, he's always delighted rather than disgusted with you for each day failing again and again to keep his law. And that is the truth that is taught to us in that passage that we had read earlier to us uh, from John chapter 15. Turn with me again to John chapter 15, page 1068. John chapter 15, where the Lord Jesus Christ himself is speaking. John chapter 15, verse 5. Another farming illustration for us, but here from Jesus himself. John chapter 15, page 1068, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here Jesus says that the way to produce fruit is to be in him as the vine. And so if you wish to be more than grapes in the desert, You need to come to Jesus Christ and trust in him. Because that is how you join in with Jesus Christ, by faith in him. And so the fruit that he's produced in your life is actually from him because you're rooted in him. And so glory goes to him. When you do right, when you actually find yourself through your day doing what pleases God, it is not by your strength that you've done it, but by Christ's strength. The root that supports you, the vine that supports you, has done it. And so you can give God glory because you know if it was up to you, you wouldn't have been able to do anything good that day. But it's by faith in Jesus Christ that Christ has then produced fruit in you. And so you want to be more than just a few grapes in the desert. And sometimes it is surprising to see some people seek to follow God. As you look at them and you look at their life and you think, there's no way that person will ever commit their life to Jesus Christ. Their life looks like a complete desert. And then you see this glimmer of hope there. And you think, there's life. And they're a delight to you as well as a delight to the Lord, you expect, because they are like grapes in the desert. But you want them to be more than just a few grapes. You want them to produce more and more grapes so that their life is no longer a desert but a flourishing garden because they're rooted in the vine that is Jesus Christ. And that's what you should want for your own life and the lives of those around you. Or as you look at some people, you think, yes, they are like first fruit on a fig tree. You've had to wait years and years for some people to show any interest in Jesus Christ, just like you might have had to wait years and years for some fruit to show up on that fruit tree that you've been sheltering in the backyard and watering and fertilising and encouraging. And finally you see some fruit, and that's what it's like in some people's lives. You, you witness to them, you encourage them, and you wait and you wait and you wait and you suddenly see a glimmer of life there. There's a little bit of fruit showing. They profess some faith in Jesus Christ. But what you want to do is encourage that faith, that it is in Jesus Christ, that they're not just going to produce a couple of fruit, pieces of fruit, and then there's nothing further. No, you want to make sure that they produce fruit that lasts, fruit that goes on and on, that they become a blossoming fruit tree that is heavy laden with fruit because they're rooted to Jesus Christ. And so we as Christians need to remember to do this with those around us, but also to do it in our own lives, that we have to stand by faith in Jesus Christ, always. It's one of those things that the more fruit you produce in your life as a Christian, the more you get this temptation to stand on that fruit itself, and to think, I'm such a good person, I don't need Jesus Christ's help so much. No, we must always remember that that fruit that we produce, it only comes through Jesus Christ, and we need to keep on trusting him. If we are to be more than just grapes in the desert. And we as a church need to remember that as well. Here at Dremoyne Baptist, we should never stand on our own righteousness. We should stand on the fruit that is Jesus Christ. His work should always be the focus of our lives at Dremoyne Baptist and not our own righteousness because as soon as we start standing on our own righteousness, God will be disgusted with us. And we may have looked like we pleased him at one point at this church, but in reality we were just grapes in the desert because we were not rooted to Jesus Christ. So let's come before God now let's pray Heavenly Father we must confess that our lives often look like a few grapes in a desert as we look at how little we worship you with our days as we look at how little we follow your laws our lives are great deserts in many respects But Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word, that if we come and trust in Christ, then you do not see our unrighteousness, but you see Christ's righteousness. And you actually start to work righteousness in us through faith in Christ, so that we produce fruit that lasts. So Lord, we beg of you that you would continue to do this. Deepen our faith in Christ, so that we are not simply grapes in the desert, but that we are a blossoming garden here at Ramon Baptist. And, Lord, we pray that we would not be simply like early figs on a fig tree, those first fruit that appear and then vanish and are no more. Lord, we pray that we would always be producing fruit. And, Lord, we pray that we would encourage this in those around us so that they too please you through Jesus Christ, both now and for eternity. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.